0: I invite you to turn in your copy of God's Word to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24 is, we continue our life-changing look at Jesus. We really are getting into the last couple of days of his life, which means he's really emphasizing the part of life change. We've looked at his life and, boy, the change that it demands of us is great. Matthew 24 Let's pray, we'll begin. Father, so much of what I have to say today, what your word has to say, revolves around your kingdom. Lord, I pray that you would do your supernatural work in each one of us, that we might see and behold your kingdom, that we would seek it first. Amen. You know, I've had you turn to Matthew 24, but if you've been with us recently, you know that we've actually already completed Matthew chapter 24, and in fact, we've gotten into the first 13 verses of Matthew 25. But as I told the first service, I'm having a really hard time letting go (laughs) Matthew 24. It's profoundly impactful. And so I wanna read them to you again Make sure that your mind really is wrapping around what Jesus has said so far before we cover new ground today. And we're only going to cover a little bit of new ground as we found out in the first service. These two chapters of Matthew 24 and 25, they have had a profound effect upon how Christians have lived for the last 2,000 years. A profound impact on the way they've lived and spent their lives and have died. And I long for these words of Jesus to have that same profound impact on the way that I live and perhaps even on how I die. And I long also for them to have that same impact on you. I pray all the time that God will radically change you. You are in my crosshairs, so to speak. Believer, we need to become very, very familiar with the message of Jesus here in these two chapters. In verse 35 of chapter 24, he says that heaven and earth, they will pass away, but his words, he says, my words will not pass away. And when he says my words, he very specifically is talking about in this context, the words he's given to us here in Matthew 24 and 25. These words, this teaching, it's going to outlast even heaven and earth itself. He is placing the highest emphasis he can on this teaching. Which means we need to know these words. We need to understand them. We need to wrap our minds around them. But we not only need to know them, we need to embrace them with all that we are and we need to live our lives in light of them. I'm gonna tell you a lot of people, they avoid Matthew 24 and 25. There's a lot of controversy surrounding these and what Jesus is saying. We've kind of hit on that controversy a little bit. I wanna avoid the controversy as much as possible. Regardless of where you land, these words of Jesus are to have a tremendous impact on how we live today. Listen, to ignore them or to not worry about them because they're too hard to understand is to fail Jesus and his high calling on our lives. And I'm telling you, failure and the cost of failure is far too high. Failure to heed and to live in light of what Jesus said here. For all intents and purposes leads to, at least metaphorically speaking, being cut into pieces and put out with the hypocrites. According to Matthew 24, verse 51, Jesus tells us that those who fail to live by these words, the words he gives us in these two chapters, Will result in Jesus saying to us on on Judgment Day, I do not know them. According to Matthew 25, verse 12. People who fail to heed these words and put them into practice, they will be called worthless servants, lazy servants, cast out into outer darkness. And they will be left to weep and gnash their teeth in agony. And I don't know about you, but tooth pain is some of the worst pain I've ever felt in my life. Those who fail to heed these words, Jesus tells us they are separated from the sheep on final judgment. And they are called goats. And to the goats, Jesus promises to say, Depart from me, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Chapter 25, verse 41. And according to chapter 25, verse 46, these goats will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So again... Let me remind you, failure to heed these words and to live in light of them will cost you dearly. So I want to take a little extra time to make sure we've got this down. By the way, just for the sake of context, could you imagine Being one of the original 12 disciples, having lived the last couple of years of your life with Jesus, seeing his power, seeing his love in action, seeing the miracles, hearing his teaching, experiencing his authority, and then having you and him sit down, just a meeting, 13 of you, small group time, and he looks you in the eye and he says, listen, listen, You've come this far, but if you don't heed what I'm saying now, you're going to be taken to the butcher. Eternity is at stake. This is not about playing games. This is about the kingdom of God, which will surely prevail. So he sits down with his guys on a Tuesday. We know this is the last Tuesday of his life. Before he's crucified, he'll be crucified on Friday. And he gets his guys ready. And he tells us what it takes to be ready. Ready for what? To live our lives in light of the fact that he is going to leave and ascend into heaven and sit at the right hand of the Father and be the high <laughs> priest, and work in the temple in heaven that is not made with human hands. He's going to get us ready for his time away. And like I said earlier, though people argue over the meaning of his message, the application remains the same. Our lives, our priorities, our time, our goals, our hopes, our purpose in living. Yes, even our death to be radically changed in light of his return and it must look radically different from the world. So what I want to do this morning before we dive into new territory is I want to do a big picture review of what we've covered so far. To bore you? Yeah, that's my aim. No. to make sure that you are confident when you come to Matthew 24 and 25 that you know what Jesus is talking about. This is not a passage to run from because it's confusing. If you've got a couple of tools, a couple of flashlights to look in on this word, what looks like it's dark and scary is actually not bad at all. You can wrap your mind around this, and then, church, Jesus is going to move to point number two, so to speak, in his sermon here in Matthew 24 and 25. He's going to get really practical. So I want to make sure we got the theology down so we can get to the application. Does that make sense? And I promise to go faster, hopefully, than I did in the first service because it got a little long. 24, verse 1 and 2, it sets the stage. You guys remember, we've been talking about this for months. Jesus left the temple. It is a picture of the Lord leaving his temple. Very sad. And he was going away. When his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. It doesn't say that they're talking about how beautiful they are, but they're talking about how beautiful they are. How amazing they are. And we've talked about how huge the temple is, how magnificent the temple is. Verse 2, but he answered them, you see all these. Do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Okay, you talk about controversy. That could get a guy killed to make that statement. You're telling me the center of the Hebrew religion is going to be destroyed, blown up? Yeah, that's exactly what Jesus is saying. How much trouble could a guy get in for that? Well, you could get killed for that. As a matter of fact, this is one of the charges that will be brought up against Jesus at his trial in just two days. They'll say, Jesus has said that he's going to throw down this temple. He's going to destroy this temple. In three days, he'll rebuild it. So it's a big deal. So the disciples are, are smart enough, knowledgeable enough, not to bring up a discussion about this with Jesus in the temple as he leaves the temple. Instead, they wait till they get on the mountain. Verse 3. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. You don't want to talk about that stuff in public. But they come to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming? And what will be the sign of the end of the age? So they ask three questions. And now Jesus launches out into an answer for these three questions. He doesn't answer all three of them as directly as they probably would have liked, but he answers them nonetheless. Here's what you need to know. Starting in verse four, through the end of verse 14, Jesus describes for us what the end of the age is characterized by. What it looks like, what happens, what transpires. When is the end of the age? Well, the beginning of the age began in Genesis, and it will end at the second coming of Christ, which means that the days in which we live now, the days that he has ascended into heaven until the day that he returns, that is what the Scriptures, the New Testament, commonly refer to as the last days, the end times, the last hour. We've seen this time and time again. That's the way the New Testament talks about this present time. So he's going to describe it. Let me read for them. Read through these really quickly. Verse four. These these qualities. Jesus answered them. See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, "I am the Christ," and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against nation, or kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginnings of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. When Jesus uses the word then here, he's not talking about chronology. That there will be wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and famines. And then, no. When he uses the word then, he's talking about then at the same time, as these other things are happening, then, at the same time, they're going to deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then, during that same time, many will fall away. Then what happens next, the end will come. Okay? So that's his summary to the the disciples' question about the end of the age. Now, Jesus, in verses 15 to 21, he talks about a very specific event. He answers the question, he at least speaks to the question that the disciples asked about when the destruction of the temple will take place. He satisfies their curiosity, so to speak, in verse 15. So, when you see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by the prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then, during that time, at that time, let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in winter or in Sabbath. Why is he saying this? Because the wrath, the destruction that is coming will be horrific. Horrific. And we have testimony, written history of just how horrific it was when the Romans came in in AD 70 and they destroyed Jerusalem and not, metaphorically speaking blew up the temple so that one stone was not left on side of the other. He's describing for them what's going to happen when the temple is destroyed. Part of their original question. Verse 21, for then at that time there will be great tribulation, such as has not been seen from the beginning of the world until now. No, and never will be. I'm not going to take the time to repreach the sermon from this text, but I'll remind you that though there have been more people killed and murdered at the hands of evil men, nothing rivals what the Jews went through when. Titus came in and destroyed their city and their temple. It was horrible. I'm not going to revisit those horrors with you this morning. But that's what Jesus is doing here. He's talking about that one specific event that he's already mentioned and that guys have asked him the question about. Now, verse 22. Again. I would argue this should be a new paragraph. I'm not going to give you those arguments again. But verse 22. Jesus in verse 22 goes back to describing the qualities of the last days. The days between his first or his ascension and his second coming. Verse 22. And if those days, the last days, had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect... Those days will be cut short. Then, if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I've told you beforehand. So, if they say to you, look, he is at the wilderness, He's in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. Why? Let me just give you this preface before I read verse 27. Because when Jesus comes back, it will be absolutely unmistakable. The whole world will know. Verse 27. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpses, there... The vultures will gather. He uses kind of a morbid picture there saying it's unmistakable. So don't get duped. So again, big picture. What we have in verses 4 through 28 is Jesus describing the days between his ascension into heaven and his second coming. Very specifically in verses 15 to 21, he gives us one event. That happened in AD 70, the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. Now, I'm going to turn the page in my Bible because I have to for the next verse. Verse 29. In verse 29, Jesus moves on to talk about his coming, the second coming. Again, part of that question, the questions that the disciples asked. Verse 29. Immediately, After the tribulation of those days, what days? The whole period of the end times. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the son of man and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. Why do they mourn? Because it's judgment day and they're found without Christ. That's why the tribes of the earth mourn in that text. And they will see the son of man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call. And they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. All right. That is what ends this present age. The very visible, very, this isn't secret, not hidden, but very public worldwide event in which Jesus returns. The, judge, the, 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 the unbelievers are judged, and the believers, what he calls the elect here, are gathered from all over every corner of the earth, and that's when we spend Eternity with Jesus in heaven. We believe that 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 Thessalonians 5 are parallel passages that describe this same event. All right. So now, that's all Jesus' first point. He talks about this present age, the destruction of Jerusalem, and his second coming. Now he starts to wrap up his first point in verses 32 through 35. It says there, from the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. In other words, he's saying, how do you know that winter is coming to a close? The leaves start to grow on the trees. That's how you know winter is about to be over. Unless you live in Montana, then it goes 12 months out of the year. (laughs) So it seems. So also, verse 33: when you see all these things, what things? Everything he's described in verses 4 through 28. So also, When you see all these things, you know that he is near. At the very gates, verse 34. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. What generation? The generation he's talking to. He looks at Peter and James and Andrew and the rest of the guys He says, guys, your generation will not die until you see all of these things taking place. What things? Everything he's described in verses 4 through 28. All the qualities of the end times, they will begin to experience even before the end of their lifetime. Yes, they will even see the destruction of Jerusalem. What these things does not include, however, is verses 29 through 31. How do we know that? Because of verse 36. But concerning that day and hour, what day and hour? the day of the Lord, his second coming. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. Jesus wasn't predicting that he would come back in the lifetime of his disciples. He did not know when he would return. But what we do see here as we continue to work through 24 and 25, is that he does think that he will be gone a long time. Here, church, Jesus' instruction turns. It turns from describing what our lives will be like living in this age to how the fact that he is returning should change how we live. What he promises us in chapter 24 is a life full of trouble and heartache. And all that trouble and heartache, it points us to the fact that this world, it is temporary. This world is not How God designed this world to operate. No, we fouled that up in Genesis chapter 3 when we fell. And ever since then, the devil has been the ruler of this world. He's called that in Colossians, Ephesians. And he has come and he has perverted all that is good. You remember that after God created everything, he called it all good. And at the very end, he said, this is good, good. But ever since the fall of man, the devil and sin and ourselves have been corrupting what is good. And so now what we experience instead of God's goodness and his blessing is we are filled. This world is filled with heartache, brokenness. And that's why his promise, it's a two-sided promise that he tells us. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. It's a guarantee. But behold, he said, I have overcome this world. So we do not live for this world. We live for the next. How do we get ready for the next? That's what the rest of Chani 4, chapter 24, and chapter 25 is all about. Look at verse 37. Look. He says, "For as were in the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the son of man. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So it will be so will be the coming of the son of man." Again, I've told you this, but let's make sure we're crystal clear on this. What Jesus is teaching is, man, life's going to be normal. People are going to be eating and drinking and marrying and having kids and planning for the future when all of a sudden, bam, just like in the days of Noah, it's going to start raining. Except the rain now will not be wet. (laughs) It will be pouring out the wrath of God. On that day, verse 40, on that day, then, as that is occurring, two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces. And put him with the hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus has changed directions. He's told us what life will be like on this earth while we wait. And now what he tells us is how we wait matters. How you spend your days, your life, waiting on him to return matters. He talks about the good and the faithful servant, and then he talks about the wicked servant. What's the difference between the good and faithful servant and the wicked servant? Well, the wicked servant, he starts to live as if Jesus isn't coming back. His master's delayed. He's got time, he can do what he wants, he doesn't need to honor the master. And what's interesting is then what happens in chapter 25. Jesus starts talking, we've covered this the last time I was in the pulpit. He starts talking about these ten virgins, these maidens, a part of this wedding day, right? And he talks about how they're waiting for the bridegroom to come back. The bridegroom has been delayed. And so he talks about how they're spending their time while he's. Delayed. And half of them, and I don't know if there's anything with these percentages or not, but half of them, they're the real deal. They sound like followers of Jesus, they act like followers of Jesus, but not just on the outside, on the inside, too. You see, God had called them, the bride who had called them to be lights shining in the darkness. And those five maidens, they were not only ready as far as the way they looked, they were ready on the inside. Their lamps had oil. They could burn brightly for him. But oh, half of them, half of them just sounded like they were ready. Half of them just looked like they were ready. They had no oil inside. Lamps without oil, which is a picture of hypocrisy, a picture of what Jesus even said of the Pharisees, men and women who wash the outside, but inside they're full of dead man's bones. Powerless. They were all show, but no substance. Here's the scary part, church. Both these people, both these types of virgins, these maidens, they were living simultaneously, side by side, and they both looked and sounded like the real deal. What was the difference? The one had oil, the other did not. The other was truly prepared for when Christ returned. When the bridegroom returned, the other was not. And what happens to those who were not ready, who did not spend their days waiting on his return getting ready? They found themselves, after he returned, beating on his door, saying, Lord, Lord, Open up. We're here. Let me into your kingdom. And what's he say? I never knew you. How you wait matters. You say, Jeff, you start to sound like you're preaching like a works-based salvation. that, Like we need to busy ourselves and work ourselves to get ready for the king, and then he'll accept us. That's not what I'm saying at all. That's not the, that's not the clear testimony of the New Testament. What's the clear testimony of the New Testament? It is this. How we wait, how we wait reveals what's in our heart. The believing heart, the person who comes to Jesus and sees Jesus and beholds Jesus and surrenders to Jesus, the one who believes him, that he is who he says, and what he says will come to pass, that, that person is radically changed, radically transformed from the inside out. But the person who comes to Jesus and loves what he has to offer, oh, I'll take heaven... Heaven sounds like a whole lot better option than hell. Those who buy these false gospels, buy these false prophets that Jesus predicted would come, promised would come, that says, hey, Jesus is all about making your life better now. Just eat, drink, and be merry. Live your best life now. Those who want Jesus for all the the blessing and benefit, they just want to rub Jesus like a genie and get their their wishes granted. Look, that's a lamp with no oil. They don't see, they don't behold Jesus. They want to use Jesus. I'm just reviewing. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to preach like this. Uh... Yeah. How we wait matters. Which brings us to our first point. <laughs> I'm sorry guys. We only have one point and we're only going to get through part of the point. I told it that's what happened with the first service and we're going to we're just going to do that, okay? Point number 1 for this weekend next week is wasted talent. Wasted talent. Verse 14, this, this parable of the talent, it comes in the context of Jesus getting us ready for when he's gone and how we should be living our lives today. Verse 14, for it, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Now, he also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered not or no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful, lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scatter no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will be given more, more will be given, and he will have an abundance But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Again, church, how you wait, how you spend your time waiting matters. Now, we're going to take a little bit of a left turn, but that's okay. It's the only turn we're going to take. I want us to start our consideration, and it'll be brief, of this text with the word it in verse 14. I want you to answer this question in your own mind. What is it? For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them his property. What is it? Now why I would love to hear all your answers, I'm gonna give you the answer. It is the kingdom of heaven. That's what Jesus has been talking about since verse one of chapter 25. Look at verse 1 of chapter 25. He says, then the kingdom of heaven will be like. And then he goes and he talks about those ten virgins. And now he continues his discussion on the kingdom of heaven. And he talks about the parable of the talents. He uses the same formula there in verse 14. Look, it says, for it, that's the kingdom of heaven. The antecedent of it is the kingdom of heaven found in verse 1. For it... Same topic as I've been talking about, will be like a man going on a journey. Now, who does the man represent in this parable? And what is his journey? Well, the man represents Jesus. And the journey represents his ascension into heaven. So, the kingdom of heaven will be like Jesus going to heaven this man called his servants who are the servants the servants are his disciples who called his servants and entrusted to them his property to the one he gave five talents to another two to another one to each according to his ability then what did he do he went away here's the part That might blow some of your minds. According to Jesus' logic here. In this parable. The framework that he's working in. When does the kingdom of heaven begin? When he goes away. When the master leaves. When Jesus ascends into heaven. The kingdom of heaven is like a man going on a journey. When Jesus was speaking, this was something that was still in the future, about 45 days to be exact, when he would stand on that same mount, the Mount of Olives, and he would ascend into the sky to heaven. He was like a man going on a journey. Now, when does this time period, the kingdom of heaven on earth, seem to end? Well, when the master returns, also known as the day of the Lord. Look at verse 1 again. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. So the context of this kingdom of heaven are these maidens waiting. Then you look at verse 14. It says, for it, the kingdom of heaven, it's like the man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them with his property. Now skip down to verse 19. Now after a long time. A long time, like 2,000 plus years. The master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. That's the day of the Lord, judgment day. So do you see what's happening here? Jesus is teaching us about the kingdom of heaven. And why this is so mind-blowing for some people is because some of us have been taught, our tradition has taught us, that the kingdom of heaven is something that is far off and in the future. But Jesus, in his framework, seems to be placing the kingdom of heaven in between the time when he ascends on his long journey and the time when he returns from that journey to judge and to hand out rewards, which means... The time between his ascension and his second coming are not only the last days. It also means means that these are the days of the kingdom of heaven on earth. Or to put it as Jesus said it repeatedly while he ministered on earth. The kingdom of God is at hand. It is upon you. Or, as he said in Luke chapter 17, verse 21, Behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. Do you believe that? That the kingdom of God is in your midst? Matthew 10, 7, he tells the disciples, Proclaim as you go, the kingdom of God is at hand. Friend, listen, Jesus is king. We live in a day and an age where we have so sissified Jesus, he is a wimp. No, he is king. He is king, is not that he'll be king someday. He is king now. Jesus It's not that he's going to reign someday. Jesus is reigning now. He's reigning us. We are his kingdom. And he has commissioned us, his kingdom people, to advance his kingdom throughout enemy territory. Not with swords and guns and bombs, but with the gospel. He has equipped us with the gospel, and that's why Paul said in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. In Matthew 24.14, this same conversation he's having with his guys, what's he say? And this gospel of what? Of the kingdom. This gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then what will happen? The end will come. Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey. Obey what? King Jesus. Go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. And behold, I am with you. How long is he with us for? To the end of the age. Do you see it? You see, King Jesus, he validated that he is king. He proved to all that he is king with his perfect life, his substitutionary death, His glorious resurrection and his ascension to the right hand of God in heaven. And as king, he is now conquering the world. How? By commissioning you, citizens of the kingdom, to go and make more citizens of the kingdom of all the nations. And he will not stop until all is conquered until every man and woman, not every man and woman, so that men and women from every tribe, that's how I should say it, from every tribe, from every nation, from every tongue, surrender to him and become a part of his kingdom, a kingdom that is not of this world, but from where? The kingdom from heaven. Believer, do you understand that you being here today You surrendering to his lordship. Do you understand that you in fact are proof that he is conquering the world? You are part of his kingdom. Colossians chapter 1 verse 13. It says that he has delivered us from the domain. From the kingdom of darkness. Where? To the kingdom of his beloved son. In in Romans chapter 9. Verses 25 through 26, it says, And indeed, God has said in Hosea that those who were not my people shall be called my people. And her who was not beloved shall be called my beloved. And in every place where there where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called the sons of the living God. Believer, you are, are a part of the kingdom of heaven. 1 Peter 2, chapter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. But you, what are you? You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. A people for God's own possession. Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Why? Why? Why are you a holy nation? Why are you this royal priesthood in a chosen race so that you can fulfill the great commission? That's what that's all about, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who's called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, he goes on to say, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Oh, church, you are a part of heaven's kingdom on earth. But the kingdom of darkness does not like this at all. And so the kingdom of darkness continues to grow darker and darker and darker. Romans 1, 29-32. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish faithless, heartless, ruthless. Did I not just describe every junior high in America? (laughs) And it gets worse, doesn't it? Verse 32, though they know God's righteous decrees that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, they give approval to those who practice them. Jesus warns us in 24:22 that it will become so vile and corrupt that these days if they're not cut short that none of us would survive. That's why Jesus preps us in verse, in 24, 9 through 3, or 9 through 13, it says, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. And then... The end will come. Listen, as the kingdom of heaven advances, the kingdom of darkness fights back. And so Jesus promises us that the enemy will deliver us to tribulation and kill us and hate us and try to shut us up and shut us down. And the enemy's tactics, listen, they will work. They will work against so-called believers. Lamps with no oil. Jesus says the church's love will grow cold. I cannot tell you how important it is that you relish in the love of God that we might love others as he has loved us. A sure sign that the end is near is that the church. It's love will grow cold. The church will become like the world, lawless, full of sin. It says it will betray each other. The visible church will become more and more powerless because we'll spend more time fighting each other than advancing the gospel in the world. Jesus says, we, brothers and sisters, will betray one another, will hate one another. Has there ever been more division in the church than there is right now? I can think of a lot of words that describe the church, but love and unity are not two of them. 2,000 years ago, Jesus predicted all this would happen. And he nailed it. Things are unfolding exactly as he said they would. But Jesus also promised that there would be believers, members of his kingdom that would endure to the end. We will shine like the stars in the night. Because we have A treasure, though we are just vessels of clay. We have a treasure inside of us that shines brightly. We know him, we love him, and we love to give him. So we take the message of the kingdom, even where they hate us. And we don't only preach it, we embody it. We live it out. He says... There's going to be maidens out there. They're going to look like you. They're going to talk like you. But they're not like you. Lamps with no oil. Pay no attention. It's okay. Proceed with the mission. Don't get bogged down. While you wait and how you wait, it matters. He said the kingdom of heaven is going to be characterized by faithful servants of the king who takes what he's given to them to them. What he's entrusted to them, we take that and we use that to multiply to advance his kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. There's going to be wicked servants mixed in, servants who call Jesus king or lord in name only. They don't surrender to him. They don't use the king's resources to advance his kingdom, but instead they use it to advance their own kingdom. That's the big picture. Jesus said, Get ready, guys. He didn't say, Get ready for something that's going to happen a long ways away. He told his original guys, Look, guys, it's all going to happen before you're dead. And, brothers and sisters, I look you in the eye today and I tell you, we still live in that same age. And we are still waiting for the bridegroom. We are still waiting for the master to return. How will he find you waiting? Because how you wait matters. Are you going to take what he has entrusted to you? What did he entrust you? Everything. Paul told the Corinthian church, what do you have that you have not been given? So why do you boast as if you haven't been given, to it, given it? Are you taking what he has entrusted to you and using it to advance in this world or to advance his kingdom that is not of this world? It is the kingdom of heaven. Listen, the reason we spent now three and a half years looking at Jesus because it's not until you see that Jesus is better than everything in every way. It's not until you begin to see that and behold it and cling to it is true that you start to live like this. I can't sit here and command you to live like this. It won't work. The law is powerless to save. But friend, if you look to Jesus in faith and you begin to see him and behold him as king, that he is who he says he is, well, then look out. The radical change will happen. Behold, the old is gone. The new has come. We're new creations in Christ. There's no way to shortcut that. You must surrender. Cling to Christ as the one who is better than everything in every way and look out it's the most amazing addicting life joyous life you can imagine for he is better let's pray Help us to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, knowing that all these other things, they'll be taken care of. They'll be added unto us. Lord, let us be so enraptured with Jesus that we can do no other. Help us to trust. Help us to obey. Amen.